Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here. You are listening to us on buildingfortunesradio.com. That's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. This is a very special segment on the Zeke Rewards class action lawsuit and some of the things that our listening audience needs to know. And we've done several of these radio shows with Ms. Tribble. She's the attorney that's handling some of this stuff. Another gentleman named Paul. Paul's not here on the radio show, but we have a really special guest for you today that I'm going to let Ms. Tribble introduce relative to what's happening with some of the things you need to know about if you or someone you knew was in Zeke Rewards. So you'll be able to hear this again on buildingfortunesradio.com forward slash Zeke Rewards. So for those people that are listening in, I own this radio show, and we own this radio station, and we've done a bazillion of these radio shows. There's been over 4,000, I think, so far, if you're listening in February. Today is the February 8th of 2018, just to date it. And to give you full disclosure, I think that would be fair, what my motivation is. When I was the president of the Association of Network Marketing Professionals, I invited some of the people from Zeke Rewards, the home office, to sponsor a meal and become uh, members of the ANMP, which stood for the Association of Network Marketing Professionals. During that period of time, I was asked by the COO and Paul Burks, who was the owner of the company, to write a sales manual for the company. And I said to Dawn, Dawn, I can't write a sales manual for a product that I've never sold before. And besides that, you have a very unique system in place with a category creator like you're doing with the, revert, with the uh, online auction, rather the penny auctions, um, no one's really ever sold a bid before. Like when I was with Electrolux, the vacuum cleaner company, we had a 70-year track record of how to do a demo. When I was with Encyclopedia Britannica, I'm sorry, when I was with P.F. Collier, which was a lot of people familiar with the Britannica. But Britannica and Collier's, we had 50 years of doing a presentation. No one's really ever done a demo on how to sell, so I need to know just about everything. So I was exposed to and given a lot of information to a lot of things that was happening with the distributorship and blah, 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 and I was a paid consultant. So there's my little disclosure. I was a paid sales consultant, not paid a lot for the receiver. (laughs) I was a paid sales consultant for Zeke Rewards, but also I was a big fan. And when I saw what was happening to them when they were being closed down, and you could listen to the previous radio shows about that, I knew that unfortunately – I might need to have a radio show like we are having today because there would be some real victims with some real challenges and they would have a problem because they didn't know or they were being bullied or they were being harassed and or intimidated or they just didn't know because they were working part-time and they were nice people. So we've had a series of these radio shows and I'm going to turn this over now to Ms. Tribble so she can introduce our guest speaker as well and she can keep us up to date on some of the things that happened. So Ms. Tribble, thanks for being here. Thank you, Peter. Again, my name is Saria Tribble. I am one of the attorneys that's helping a few of the um, net winners um, in the Zeke Reward class action case, uh, myself and attorney Paul Capia. 
And I've asked for this segment, an attorney by the name of David Fernandez out of Florida, um, who will introduce himself a little bit more and give you more of his background, um, to just let the net net winners know, as well as other folks who are not necessarily um, assisting with the appeal, um, know what will happen, potentially what would happen um, if one were not successful on the appeal, um, and therefore to help stress the need um, for us to um, fight as hard as possible um, to ensure um, that we put our best foot forward, our best fight forward, um, so we can prevail on the appeal. Um, So if I can turn that over, we have filed the appeal. Um, We filed a notice of appeal on Friday. Um, and so now um, the attorneys will work on, you know, getting the briefs and getting the records and whatnot done. And we're confident, um, unfortunately, that there were lots of work done um, in the Zeke reward action. It would be nice if there hadn't have been so many problematic things and then everyone would have had their due process. Um, but we feel that there were a lot of due process wrongs um, that occurred. And with that, we're hopeful that we'll have a favorable appeal um, but in the event, because we can't guarantee any, again, I've asked David Fernandez to talk about the, I guess, the collections, if the receiver, would, if he moves to collect on the judgments, um, potentially what could happen and what everyone's rights are. Um, is that fair enough, David? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you, Tyra and Peter, for having me on the show. Uh, um like to tell you first off that uh, you know it's a shame what what, what happened the way that this uh, process uh, you know, was undertaken, and I'm glad to see that there is an appeal uh, to try to protect the uh, due process rights of the individuals that are now facing some um, some legal heat from uh, from the receiver. <clears throat> and we've spoken about this on previous radio shows. For those people listening in, if you go to buildingfortunesradio.com forward slash Zeke Rewards, you'll hear some of the examples of, in my opinion, the injustice that's happened so far. And some of you might think that just because the, their numbers were wrong or you didn't agree with the process, you were never served or whatever or whatever or whatever, you're going to be able to get away. When I say get away, meaning like there's not going to be any repercussions to this, you are probably completely wrong. And wrong, and the penalty of being wrong or the punishment for being wrong is going to be devastating unless you're really paying attention. So let's talk about those situations if we can, David, so people know. Like if you, if you want to, start from the baby step basics and give us a little bit more of the details, please. Sure. So essentially what you have right now is you have a judgment. And what that means, that is a piece of paper issued by a court that's an order saying that a certain party is owed money and they are able to collect against all the other parties that are named in that judgment. What's happened here in this case is that there's been a receiver appointed. A receiver is essentially a hired gun whose job is to try to collect this money in the most aggressive manner possible under the law. So what does that mean? That means the receiver can start trying to garnish wages, can start trying to seize properties, can then also ask for certain private information about your financial background to determine if there are any assets that are not protected and then seek those assets. Uh, For individuals that uh, do not reside in the state of Florida, and I say this because Florida is a very 
uh, debtor-friendly state. But for individuals who do not reside in the state of Florida, um, your homestead, which is the primary residence you have, may be jeopardized as well because of uh, this judgment. Uh, I understand that uh, some individuals have thought about, you know, filing bankruptcies, uh, but there are certain reasons why that may not be a good option here. Um, and um, so that's something you certainly have to think about and discuss with an attorney uh, if, uh, if that's something you're considering. Now, if I can interrupt for a second, because I'm an employer, and uh, as an employer, I've had situations sometimes where I get a legal letter from someplace uh, that says I have to garnish the wages of an employee, so on their next paycheck I'm supposed to take out X percent. So those types of things really do happen here. I mean, yes or no, can you help me with that? Absolutely. As, a, as an employer, I myself am as one, uh, I'm the, uh, the, 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 the president of, the, of the, our law firm, Florida Trial Council in, in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, as an employer, I understand that, that responsibility you have. Uh, what happens is you get the legal notice, you have a certain amount of days to respond, and the notice, what it says is it needs you to disclose uh, the income or wages that, that a certain employee that is a debtor has. And then by law, you're required to uh, set aside up to 25% of that person's income. That's how much the law allows a judgment creditor to, uh, to take from your uh, wages. Now, there are opportunities that a person has, uh, especially, particularly in the state of Florida. I'm talking about Florida specific here. But there are opportunities that a judgment debtor has to be able to go to court and object to the garnishment and show that there's certain um, exemptions that will keep that garnishment from happening. However, if the individual doesn't file the notices timely, doesn't appear at the hearings, uh, then they may waive those exemptions and their wages can be garnished up to 25%. So if somebody's working for a big company, and that's where they've been working for the last, you know, 5, 15, 20 years, they might see if they were making 1000 bucks every other week, a real serious decline in their income. And their employer is just following the law because he or she or they aren't going to get in trouble. So that could really hurt. And like you said, I, if you don't – go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry, yeah, absolutely. And what happens is if the employer does not comply with the law, then the employer may be liable to an extent as well under, under the judgment. So if you think the employer is just going to set it aside, it's not going to happen because the employer doesn't want to undertake that liability. Right. So in those instances, those things don't go away. So we probably, have, you know, depending on whether it's a $1,000 judgment or a $100,000 judgment, that could be sticking around with you for a very long time. What else can they attach? You said something about property. So there's probably a legal definition of property. What would that or how could that be included? Sure. So what ends up happening with a judgment, let, let's talk, again, Florida specific because I, I'll I, I practice in the state of Florida. But in Florida, what would happen is the, um, the creditor would take the judgment, which is the piece of paper again, and record that judgment in the public records of Florida in whatever county they determined that the debtor resides in. 
the moment that that certified copy of the judgment is recorded in the public records, it now becomes a lien over whatever property somebody might own. So, for example, if you own uh, a car, if you own uh, a boat, ATVs, um, you know, homes, uh, investment properties, all these, all these type of properties, uh, they now are subject to this lien. What can happen, what, happens a lot, what actually happens a lot of time is nobody's going to give you notice that this lien has been recorded. Typically what occurs is a person tries to do a sale or they try to refinance uh, a home or, or apply for a new auto loan, and then a judgment comes up on the credit report. At that point, most banks will, will shy away from you know, uh, loaning the money, but more importantly, if the house, let's say if it's a property like a house, if the house is not your homestead, then the proceeds from the sale have to pay off that judgment first before any profits are derived from those sales. So let me just kind of say it the way you said it, just for repetition. If I was the person who had the judgment and I had a second home because maybe I was making money on real estate and I was buying and flipping those homes, when I went to go sell that second home, that second home might have that judgment against me and therefore the proceeds are going to go to whoever the judgment was before they ever come back to me. But if it was my home, they might not be able to do something. How does that work with the person's home that they – well, first of all, was I right in the first part of my answer? Yes, you're correct in the first part of your answer. If it's not your homestead, then the, the judgment amount has to be paid from the proceeds of the sale. If the, uh, if the proceeds of the sale do not pay off that judgment, that judgment continues to exist even as to the new buyers, which is why wow. if you, the traditional way you would do it in Florida is you would go to a title company. Uh, and, you know, our firm, we have a title division, so we would do a title search. We would find the, the judgment lien. If the judgment lien is not satisfied from the sale, then you have to have sufficient funds to get a release of that lien. If you don't get a release of the lien, what ends up happening, the lien still attaches to the property, and the new owners will be will, will have a debt that they would have to pay, otherwise they would lose the property. And because wow. of that, no insurance would ever allow you to conduct a closing on that property. Right, exactly. So now that's for a home. What about a, a car, truck, like you said, maybe a boat? Same thing? Sure. So uh, same thing. So it's a, it, it's a little different because of the way the transactions occur when when you're you're, you're dealing with the with the vehicle. So let's take a car for for instance. Most folks are financing their vehicles. So at some point, we would all hope that our vehicle is actually worth more than what we're paying for it to, to the lender. But when that happens, you now have something what's called equity. When you have equity, the judgment debtor can seize your vehicle. They could essentially seize a vehicle, sell it to a third party, pay off your lender, and keep the equity. So does that mean literally somebody might wake up with an empty driveway? You might wake up and somebody will be there with a tow truck taking your vehicle. And they would have the right to do so because of the judgment lien. Now, typically what ends up happening is it's not – it's not like what you'll see during a repossession, a repossession where you see a tow truck. 
typically is the sheriff's office coming to your house. The sheriff's office will come into your house. Um, they will take an inventory of everything you have in your home, uh, including the vehicles, and then they will set it for a sale at a future date. Wow. So that's serious. Like, that's serious. First of all, I could just imagine the third party who's selling your stuff is not worrying about getting the best price. They're probably selling not at discounted Yeah, they're selling it at discounted rates. They're giving it away. It'd be worse than a garage sale. Um, or just like a garage sale. Um, or worse. Then the second part is they – so somebody can actually knock on your door and take an inventory of the rest of the stuff. So there might be some people that are listening in that have a judgment against them of $50,000, and that judgment might be wrong according to them, or maybe it is. Or maybe they just ignored her. Maybe they figured, I can't pay this. I don't have anything. They might be saying, let them come after me. I've heard that expression sometimes before from people that have these challenges. Let them come after me. I have nothing. That's, that might work in a bluff, but in reality, there's no bluffing the court system is what, you're, is what I'm guessing we're suggesting here. That's correct. Once, once a judge has issued an order, the, um, let's say the sheriff's office is going to be coming out to take the inventories. They're protected. They're protected by law because of the judge's order commanding them to come to your property and take that inventory. So you may disagree with the judgment yourself, but as long as that judgment has the, the, the force of law because the judge signed on it, then judgment creditors are going to be aggressive in trying to collect it. Uh, so I'll give you a story of, of, of a way we collected something uh, a couple years back. There was an individual uh, owed a lot of money. They were being difficult. They were trying to hide assets. They were uh, trying to you know, not pay us, not answer uh, questions, disclosing their assets. So we were able to find uh, a particular bank account that this individual had. So we sent the proper notices to the bank account, and we were able to freeze their account. Understanding was is that this individual was doing groceries for Thanksgiving, ran their card, and found out that her assets had been frozen because the bank froze them under our judgment. They immediately called their office, worked out a settlement. That's the type of aggressive collections you can expect from a receiver. Wow. Now, there were over... 9,000 people in the United States that were given this judgment, um, I can't say arbitrarily. They've gone through whatever way the government goes through things, and there's 9,000 people out there that probably need to be listening to this radio show because I'm sure there's a lot of people that haven't done anything with some of the paperwork they may have received or, or, or anything. So what else can happen? So, so far we talked about property like cars and other stuff in your home and houses and uh you're talking about bank accounts as well could be frozen you're talking about garnishments to uh employees wages what about benefits or social security well the benefit the good thing about social security is that that can't be touched uh usually social security is protected and 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 that those government governmental benefits can't be taken away same thing with uh uh, veterans, uh, for example, I'm a, I'm a disabled vet, so the disabled vet payments you would get, that would not be touched in, in, this, in, uh, in, this, in this collection. However, and here's where uh, the law gets a little tricky. 
let's say an individual has a bank account in which they're, um, let's say it's a person on Social Security. So they have a bank account in which their grandkids send them money. And they put that money in a bank account, but in that same bank account, they also put in the Social Security money. While the law says the Social Security money can't be touched, the Social Security money is now being commingled with money that can otherwise be, be uh, subject to uh, um, a judgment creditor. So what would happen in that scenario is that the accounts would get frozen. And they may be frozen for months before a person can go to court and show that you know, some of the funds have to be protected and other the funds are not. But wow. that's a very taxing process, and you'll have to hire an attorney, you'll have to go to a hearing, and all the while, your account's frozen. Wow. That, that would be devastating. We're going to do this. We're going to take a little commercial break. You're listening to us on buildingfortunesradio.com. That's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. If you want to hear these radio shows specifically, put a forward slash Zeke Rewards, and you'll hear all the previous ones we've done. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Building Fortunes Radio. If you sell a product or service, then you should check out bmmarketingsnetworklead.com. Just visit www.networklead.com. For over 18 years, PM Marketing has helped distributors build their home-based businesses through lead generation, website development, automated email delivery systems, and sales training. If you're looking for a way to increase your skills and increase the number of people that see your product or opportunity, networklead.com can help. To learn more, visit www.networkleads.com. Ask about their lead management system, capture pages, personalized websites, MLM training, humongous blogs, the humongous classified ad network, Building Fortunes Radio, or their webinar schedule. Networkleads.com can be your one-stop shop for everything you need. And now, back to our show. We are here. Peter Mingles here with a gentleman. His name is David Hernandez. He's with a company called... Florida Trial Council, a similar website. David, I'll let you give out your contact information if you want to in a second. But, Ms. Tribble, I think you just jumped. Did you have anything that you wanted to add or, or, or say? No, I'm good. Thank you. Okay, perfect. So maybe, um, go ahead, please. No, no, maybe at the end, but I'm fine for now. Oh, okay, good. All right, so for those people listening in, we're on uh, the radio show with David Fernandez. He's, he's an attorney that handles these types of issues. And if you're listening in and you're a Zeke Rewards person in this situation, you might have a little bit of a sinking feeling in your stomach, um, and maybe you're little, getting a little bit on the nervous side because it's a little bit or a lot more serious than what you thought it would be. Let's face it, David, I could just imagine if my bank accounts were frozen, if a uh, guy's knocking on my door, threatening to knock on my door, liquidate my stuff, uh, having my wages garnished, uh, that's putting almost – most people in a world of hurt. I mean, they're not ready for that. So they want to try to avoid that at all costs, I am sure. So the price for learning this stuff, that's why we're doing the radio show uh, for those people listening in. The price of learning this as it's happening to you is extreme. And um, I know we spoke about Social Security benefits, and you handled that. We spoke about property. I have another question for you. If somebody were signed up as, as a business, like a business entity, um, how much of this would carry over or could carry over to them as an individual? Because sometimes people sign up as a business, um, 
and they say, well, the business is the one who's going through this, they're not going to worry about that as a, as a person. Or if they garnish their wages, do they garnish, I'm sorry, if they garnish, or if they freeze their bank accounts, do they freeze their business and their personal bank accounts? How does that usually work? It depends on how well the person has maintained the distinction between a business and an individual. Okay. Um, now, one of the things we do with that, the law firm is we actually act as general counsel for a lot of small businesses. And the reason we do that is because we found that a lot of individuals, particularly in the first three years of running a business, do not take the proper steps to maintain the legal fiction that is a, a business from the individual. So, for example, let's say the person in the state of Florida has what's called a limited liability company or an LLC. If the LLC is owned by only one person, the law says there's no difference between the LLC and the individual. So in that scenario, if there were a judgment as to the business, it would flow right through to the individual and their personal assets. If you have a corporation, let's say most, uh, most people, when they start a small business, they'll start as an S-corp, which is usually a smaller version of a uh, uh, big corporation, uh, less, usually less than 100 stock, uh, stockholders. So if you have an S corporation, or any corporation for that matter, if you do not take the proper steps to maintain the corporation the way the statute, the floor statutes require, which means having corporate meeting minutes, uh, having the, the requisite amount of meetings per year, maintaining the records, if you don't do that, what the receiver or any judgment creditor will argue is that the corporation uh, is not really in existence. It's an alter ego of the individual. So there, it will flow through as well. Finally, if you have a business and you're using the account for personal, um, for personal uh, expenses or personal charges, the creditor could argue that that business account is really a personal account and go after that account as well and freeze it. The, the final thing that happens quite often is when you purchase business assets, you don't always keep uh, a record of the title for that asset. So, for example, um, let's say you have a commercial building. You buy furniture for the commercial building you have to have some kind of record showing that, that all those furnishings belong to the business and not to the individual. Because in the absence of that record, the creditor may move forward and start taking those, those personal assets and saying that they belong to the individual and not to the business. Wow. Now, I know there was a lot of people with Zeke Rewards that were doing this on a part-time basis. And they'll look at this and they'll say, you know, I wasn't even paying attention to that. I kind of moved on, you know, running the regular business. They have a real estate business, so they might be a doctor or they might have something else going on. And that ain't paying attention to this. And um, they might find themselves in a situation where things are uh, frozen. And that would. And so what you're basically saying is they might freeze your account. And you might have $100,000 in it. And maybe the Zeke Rewards receiver is coming after the 10000 they might freeze that account so your whole entire account is frozen? 
That's correct. It's, it's essentially a situation where you now have to prove that they're not entitled to the money. The law is going to almost um, assume that the account is in your name, that the creditor is entitled to it. You now have to go to the expense of hiring an attorney and going to court and proving that the creditor is not. <laughs> so, yes, there's going to be a, a significant expense, and, of course, the time of, of not having these, this money is going to be significant. Uh, and I know one thing that people would like, would, might want to do in this scenario is, you know, rush to a bankruptcy, but maybe the bankruptcy won't work for them. Right, and that was one of my next questions. I'm glad you brought that up. So now some people might say, well, I'll just claim bankruptcy. And then well, here's is, the, that, is that an option or is that not an option? It may not be an option. First off, uh, whenever a person tries to do a bankruptcy, uh, if they're a client of ours, uh, we would tell them, you know, bankruptcy should be a last resort. Don't rush to bankruptcy. There's some very serious implications to filing bankruptcies. Uh, typically, a, a U.S. trustee can look back as far as two years to see any transfers that have occurred and undo transfers uh, if they feel that the transfer was done to a, a family member, a friend, or somebody who wasn't entitled to that type of transfer. But the real reason I'm concerned about a bankruptcy in this scenario is because my understanding of the judgment is that it was based on fraud, or at least that's what the court said. Well, when there's a judgment that's based on fraud, there's a specific provision within the bankruptcy court that does not allow a debtor to get rid of it. Okay? So essentially it's the uh, 11 U.S.C. 523. What this area of law says is that the bankruptcy courts are not going to allow individuals to get rid of debts that were incurred because of fraud. So in this particular case, the receiver will likely argue that their debt is non-dischargeable. What that means is that the individual could file a bankruptcy, they could get rid of all their other debts, they could, they could get rid of all their assets that are not protected, and this judgment will still exist. Wow. Wow. Okay. So and uh, finally, uh, one last thing. Just I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but sure, no, for no. Florida, for Florida debtors, the law in Florida is that a judgment can exist for up to 20 years. So essentially, what happens is the receiver can go record the judgment, and 10 years later, re-record that judgment, and it has what's called priority, which means it's the first debt that has to be paid before any other debts are paid. Uh, so that priority can exist for this particular debt for 20 years uh, if an individual doesn't uh, uh, doesn't either pay it off or, or, or work out a settlement with the uh, with the receiver. Oh my! So there's a so what does somebody do if they find themselves in a situation where now uh, you know I'll just uh, th th remember the receiver is going after everybody for over a thousand dollars as he considers them a net winning. So if somebody's got a small number and they can handle it, because right now you just scared the bejesus out of them, and they're saying to themselves, oh, my gosh, I can't afford to have any of those bad things happening, even if I have to do whatever, liquidate something, sell something, whatever, settle it. What would happen if there's a judgment against them and they have the ability and the willingness to settle or, or to pay well, it off? What do they do? Sure. The, the best thing that can happen is 
the individual can contact legal counsel uh, and then try to work out some kind of negotiation or settlement with the receiver. Uh, while, while judgments can take up to 20 years, I haven't met a, an attorney yet who wants to be collecting the same debt for 20 years. <laughs> so essentially you could use time against a receiver. Uh, what you can do is you can offer a larger lump sum now in lieu of paying the, the full amount. Uh, you can enter it into a, a guaranteed payment plan over some time, especially for individuals with low incomes. Um, with uh, individuals with a higher income, uh, they may want to start seeking legal counsel now about looking into their assets and finding or finding out what assets are protected and what are not protected and how to continue acting in a manner that protects those assets moving forward. Because, again, the worst thing you want to do is do something now without the, the vice of an attorney that somehow commingles funds and now makes them available to the uh, receiver. Wow. Okay, so what would someone do if they're really in a situation where um, they they owe more than they can come up with reasonably, and this judgment is coming down, and they're starting to get the paperwork or worse? What would someone do then? Uh, if, if they got the paperwork, seek out uh, an attorney. Uh, I know Tara is handling the the appeal on this process, so they certainly want to talk to Tara. Uh, to see how the appeal could help them in this scenario. Um, and then if they have a personal attorney, they can go to the personal attorney. And if they don't, then uh, Tyre or, or attorney like myself could help them on trying to protect what they do have and try to contact the receiver uh, directly to try to work something out. Uh, but, again, I would defer first to Tarya because she's, she's the one running the show as far as the appeal. That's right. So for those people that are in the state of Florida, because, Ms. Tribble, I guess you can handle Florida. So can you handle anything outside of Florida, or are you only Florida relative to the stuff at that level that we're talking about right now? So, Ms. Tribble, if you're here. Florida, I'm only licensed in Florida, and, of course, I'm admitted to do the case that we're doing in North Carolina. Um, however, I really i am not that collection debtor's rights attorney. Um, I'm more of the, you know, doing the securities litigation type thing. So I would defer to someone like David Fernandez if they had more specific questions about their individual judgment. Um, of course, go. I can let them know where we stand in the appeal and, you know, how I think the appeal can help um, hold off the judgment or, you know, hold off the, quote, collection activities. But overall, if, if, that, if, if we're not successful on appeal or if we're not able to, for example, get the court to stay the judgment's pending appeal and the receiver starts moving forward on his collections activities, for those Florida folks, I would probably refer them to David. And then likewise, they can call us and we can, you know, perhaps um, get other names. For, for I know that there's a North Carolina attorney, and I don't know her name right now, um, that Paul Capia knows. Um, that could probably assist in, in North Carolina as well. Um, but overall, people do need to, um, you know, contact their individual attorneys to see the what would happen if we're not successful um, with the appeal. So for those people listening in, if you go to buildingfortunesradio.com forward slash Zeke Rewards, we're going to have some of that information on the website. So if you could just remember it was Zeke Rewards, right? So buildingfortunesradio.com forward slash Zeke Rewards, go there. 
um, and then we'll make sure that we have contact information. You can always call us if we need to, and I'll do whatever I can to kind of be the traffic cop and kind of steer you in the right or general direction. But, uh, Ms. Tribble, is it is it safe to almost say that the real pressure hasn't even started yet? Like, if the appeals process is declined, that's when the receiver is really going to start the enforcement of this? Like this is still the calm before the storm, if you will? I would say so. I would say so. So even though it's been five years, we're moving on almost six years. For those people that think these things go away, they just go to sleep for a while. And then when they come back up, they really come back up and they get really nasty. So we only have a few minutes left. David, is there any other, I don't want to cut you short, please. Is there any other advice or suggestions or scenarios you'd like to go over with us? Uh, no, just real quick. Because of the appeal, technically the 20-year the clock has not started. It really uh, can start the moment that, uh, that the uh, appeal goes one way or the other. Uh, so people need to be aware of that. Uh, and the moment that the um, receiver records their judgment, that's when the 20-year clock will begin. Um, if uh, individuals want, I know you're going to have uh, my contact information, but uh, our phone number to the office is 941-238-6529. Again, the number is 941-238-6529. And we'd be happy to, to talk to individuals um, about their um, their options that they may be facing, uh, and you know, with our firm, every consultation is free for 30 minutes. So, you know, it would be free of charge just to you know reach out to them and let them know about what options they would have available. Okay, and could you, I, I'm sure there's some people that are grabbing some pens and paper right now. Now they're probably ready to take down your number. Can you give us your number <laughs> one more time? Sure, it's nine four one two three eight six five two nine. Again, 941-238-6529. Now, for also those people that are, you know, customers listening in, things along that line, the biggest favor I think you might do to someone who you know might be on that list because you might have had some previous conversations with them about their involvement in Zeke Rewards or they might have said something about being part of this class action lawsuit, the biggest favor I think you could do is refer them to this radio show. So you would bring them to buildingfortunesradio.com for Zeke Rewards and they can find this one specifically. And this way you can share this information with them so they can take some action. And like I said, I think it probably would be some of the biggest favors you do for anybody that's listening in. I know that if I was in that situation, and in this instance I'm not, but if I was in that situation, if I got a phone call from somebody who said, hey, Peter, you know, your name is on that class action you know, you had spoken about, you know, nothing's happened yet, but there might be. Uh, this is the time to really get actively involved and be proactive. This is not the time to put your head in the sand because you're going to be dealing with it. So is there, any, is there anything else, David, that you want to add on, or is there, any, is there any light at the end of this tunnel? You know, it seems pretty dim for those people on the, on the judgment side of this. Well, I will tell you, my experience, uh, early planning is key here. Uh, again, the certain clocks haven't started to run, so the earlier person can start planning now, uh, the more difficult time the receiver will have, which will increase the ability of an individual to work out a more favorable uh, settlement with the receiver. So certainly don't wait. 
Right. Okay, perfect. Okay, Ms. Tribble, so if you have anything else you want to mention? Oh, she's muted out. Hold on. Go ahead, Ms. Tribble. No, no, I don't have anything else, David. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, thank you, Tara, and thank you, Peter. Yep, yep, thank you very much. So for those people listening in, that was David Hernandez, uh, Fernandez, rather. So David Fernandez, I gave you his phone number. We'll give it to you one more time, 941-238-6529. So 941-238-6529, and uh, make sure you share this with anybody that you know might need some of this help in building fortunes, radio.com, post as Zeke Rewards. So we do this radio show um, to be able to educate people about this specific instance as well as, you know, you need this knowledge moving forward that if you get involved with something that might be problematic um, somewhere down the line, it, these aren't just things that you get in and get out of, if you will. There's a lot of challenges associated with this, and you're, you're not going to be able to run and hide. So on that note, thanks, everybody, for being here. David, thanks for t spending time out of your busy day. Ms. Tribble, as usual, thank you very much. I'm going to catch you guys next time on Building Fortunes Radio. We'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Thank You've you. been listening thank to you. Building Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the designated Building Fortunes Radio segment with Peter Mingle. Be sure to check out the buildingfortunesradio.com website for our featured segments. It's been our privilege to have you listen in. At Building Fortunes Radio, we wish you the success you deserve and are willing to work for. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world.